so starting with the introduction, I'm going to introduce myself. I am Haley Danzero, and I am a university student, and I'm studying cellular biology with a minor in psychology. I'm writing the MCAT this summer, and I want to go to med school. I'm applying this year, and I am a future surgeon and a big fan of Grey's Anatomy, so I want to do a podcast breaking down the medical side. And the story side of Grey's Anatomy, because there's either seems to be only people breaking down the medical side or the story side. And as a fan and someone who loves science, I want to break down both sides. So I kind of drug my cousin, Shelby, and my sister, Shayla, into doing this podcast with me. And I will let Shelby introduce herself. Uh, so my name's Shelby, and I am a nursing student. I'm in my second year. So it kind of gives us a little bit of diversity in our perspective because you don't see the nursing perspective as much in Grey's Anatomy. So stay tuned for all of my notes. (laughs) Yeah, and I'm Shayla. I'm a journalist and a writer on the side in addition to writing for a living. So my perspective has nothing to do with medical knowledge but more on the storytelling, character building, uh, filmmaking aspects where my experiences lie in. So Yeah, so we're going to start with a synopsis. This is a spoilers podcast, so we can bring up and will bring up things from future episodes. So if you are just watching it for the first time, things are going to get spoiled for you, most likely. So <laughs> starting with season one, episode one. And this is where the interns are starting their first day at Seattle Grace Hospital. Meredith discovers that her one-night stand is a boss, her boss. He is a boss as well. There's a seizure case, and we get to kind of introduce ourselves to the characters for the first time and see their introduction into the world of surgeons. Shall we start with the first scene? We shall. Okay. Meredith and Derek (laughs) wake up from their uh, one-night stand. Kudos to Shondo Rhymes and showrunners and the writers for including the tail end uh, or the aftermath of a sex scene. It's basically the introduction scene to your series that you're launching in 2005, which, I mean, we've come a long way in terms of sexuality on our screens since then. And this kind of a bold move. Yeah, this is where my crush on Derek Shepard started. Because he's so cute and cheeky and good looking. And I just want to say I just saw a post on Instagram by him of his daughter. Because she just graduated this year and she is just as pretty as he is. That like cheeky smile gets you every time. I know. It's a little grin. I just want to point out at the end of the scene, we see Meredith leaving her house. And that is not her house. That is not the house we see from the rest of the series. And I get it, it's because it's a pilot episode, and they film this separately from the rest of the season. The introduction speech in the hospital, and I know, Shelby, you have a few words on that. Okay, so I love Weber, but um, this speech is not realistic at all. It is so aggressive. These are new people who are coming into the hospital for the first time. 
you're not going to make up this big elaborate speech to scare them. Trust me, they are already scared. I know I'm not a surgeon, but your first day in the hospital, whatever profession you're doing is super nerve wracking. So having someone like your boss telling you that you're going to be like fighting against all the other people and not realistic, they're not going to do that to you. That's harsh. So there is one experience where it kind of is like that at the University of Alberta in your first engineering class when they're sitting you down and introducing you, they actually do a similar speech. They said, look to your right, look to your left. Only one of you will be making it past your first year. That's a little bit intimidating. And then I just like how it's finished with, I'm screwed because I think we've all been there. Like that feeling of intimidation. You're totally out of your league. You're doing something new for the first time. Like, it's like you were being smart in high school. And then then as soon as you go into university or anything where it's like a high competition field and suddenly everybody's smart and everybody's good. And you're just like, what do I do? Yeah, It's like your whole life was a lie. You're like this whole time. I thought I was like a really smart, hardworking person. And then you get thrown into this new situation and you're just like second guessing everything that's ever happened to you. Another like fun fact about the speech scene is don't be fooled folks Alex Karev was placed there as an afterthought 302 you get like the outside view of the hospital and I don't know if you guys like paid attention to it at the time but it looked really small like when you compare it to the hospital like University of Alberta hospital like where it's several buildings and huge like the Seattle Greeks Hospital looks small, like especially for a teaching and research hospital. I don't know. That's just coming. It's, it's just one building, and so many hospitals nowadays have like multiple buildings to them. I definitely yeah. get what you're saying. We get to the part where all the interns meet in the change room, and uh, there's going to be a lot to talk about here. And I don't want to interrupt anybody so I'm gonna let you guys talk about it first because I have so many opinions on this scene really I mean this is great because we get to see an introduction to everybody we get to see George Malley be a little pathetic off the base but like (laughs) also super endearing which we'll see throughout the episode with like little side-by-side comments that he tries to make to impress Meredith or like impress other people with like his knowledge non-knowledge about Meredith Also, I noticed that, like, I mean, I love her and I hate docking her, but, like, Christina is a little anti-feminist in this locker room scene when she discredits Um, Izzy um, for being a model and a surgeon. She's like, that doesn't help with the whole respect factor for female surgeons. And, I mean, I that's a mindset, I guess, back 2005, right? Where now a lot more people are open-minded to the idea that you can be gorgeous and have a successful like modeling career but also be super smart overall this scene was just so good at showing the viewers like the introduction to each of the characters even though it's a really short scene they're not in the locker room for that long the small amount of time that each character speaks you get a really really good feel of feel of what they're going to be like and like the personalities of each individual character. Also directly preceding this, the conversation of them trying to figure out that Bailey is the Nazi is pure gold. (laughs) Almost as good as Bailey's mushroom cut in this episode. 
I'm so offended you called George O'Malley pathetic because I wrote in my notes that George O'Malley is me when I first meet people. <laughs> well, it makes sense. I just get so awkward and I'm like, I want them to like me, but I don't want to sound braggy and I just want to be everybody's friend. I want to impress them. But at the same time, also a little bit of Christina Yang. So I'm trying to... But it's like so realistic because if you think about it, these people have been in school focusing on nothing but getting good grades for their whole lives. And now they're trying to socialize, but you can see how awkward and what little social skills they really have, which I really like as well about this scene. Yeah, I definitely find like, especially in the first episode, George O'Malley as one of the most realistic characters. Because I'm like, I can see you meeting a George O'Malley, except for the whole marrying Callie thing. But one of the most emotionally well-rounded characters. Because as much as I love the other characters, Meredith, Alex, and Christina are like woefully emotionally stunted. Just the way they like (laughs) self-sabotage. And I did notice a discontinuity (laughs) error. George puts the stethoscope on his neck, and then they do a cutscene where they zoom out, and the stethoscope's in his hand and then he puts the stethoscope back on his neck as they're leaving yeah he puts it on twice yeah i yelled (laughs) when i saw it i was so proud of myself for spotting that when we were watching yeah um also fun fact about the whole stethoscope around the neck thing that is actually frowned upon in the hospitals you wouldn't know it because everybody in like pictures and movies always look so much cooler when the stethoscope is around your neck but they tell you in nursing don't do that because normally you're supposed to keep it in your pocket so that it doesn't, it's not near your face. It's not getting in your hair. So after you see a patient, you like clean your stethoscope, put it in your pocket. And then when you go to see your next patient, you don't have to wash it again because it stays sterile safely in your pocket. Okay. So then we get to Dr. Bailey doing their first introduction. And I just want to start by saying, Dr. Bailey is a badass bitch. I love Dr. Bailey. She takes no shit. The problem I take with this is first her bowl cut, like Shayla said. Like a mushroom cut. Yeah, I guess. And it's like, do you remember what was his name? Coconut head from Ned's Declassified School Survival Guide? (laughs) (laughs) That's that's the haircut she had going on. And this is why I forced my sister to be on this podcast because we needed her scathing review of characters. So the issue I take with Bailey's speech is when she says the first shift lasts 48 hours. So I know the show started in 2005, so I'm not sure what the laws were then, but that would definitely not be allowed now. So in the United States, residents are only allowed to work 80 hours a week, and first-year residents can work a maximum of 16-hour shifts. And this is because when you get more and more tired, your cognitive processes decline, and it's actually like you're working drunk. And of course, when you're operating drunk or working drunk or tired, you make too many mistakes. And so rules had to be implemented. So according to residentdoctors.ca, 5 to 36% of all resident errors were caused by fatigue. And surgical residents who have been awake all night made 20% more errors after completing this laparoscopic surgical task than those who had a full night of sleep. Spoil alert, in future seasons, they cover this. Do they actually? 
Oh, yeah, when they change the rules. They do. With the electronic, when they get the electronic charting, they have to chart how many hours they get. And if you go over, they send you home and someone sneaks in there and makes it seem like he hasn't been working as much as he has so he can stay and he gets in trouble. Yeah, um, <laughs> except that other than that one episode, they never really mention it again. Yeah, they don't. And they don't actually follow the rules. Yeah, they don't. Um, <laughs> love that about Grey's Anatomy. Nobody actually follows any rules yeah. and medical protocol. Um, but it's still a great show. Still love it. Um, <laughs> to carry on with what Haley was saying, the other thing that I did not like about Bailey's speech was when she kept telling them, only get me when they are dying. <laughs> that... <laughs> That is really not good. As residents, you want your resident to come to you whenever they have any questions about anything because you do not want them making mistakes. So you want to be strict, obviously, with them, but you want them to feel like they can come ask you questions because you would rather have someone come ask you a question than them royally screw up and harm a patient. Then the patient comes from the helicopter. Uh, we know that this is Katie Bryce, played by Skylar Shea. And this is her first of three appearances. And we will see her again when she returns as a patient of Amelia's and when she stands up for Meredith at her trial. She's having a seizure. She gets taken in from the helipad. I don't know why surgeons are taking her in. Makes me mad every time. Yeah. Um, what is the American equivalent to stars? Does anybody know? I know in Alberta we have stars, which is our helicopter ambulance. So if anybody listens and anybody cares who is not from Alberta, please tell us because I'm kind of curious about that myself. So when they're treating her, they give her 10 milligrams diazepam IM. So this is a medication used to treat seizures. It is an in, IM is intramuscular dosage and it's just a fancy word for injection, I believe. Yeah, IM is just like a muscular injection. So it's a shorter needle. So it is used for sedation and to help with muscle seizing. So as a cell biologist, I have to talk about neurotransmitters and how it works in cells. Um, I don't want to go too into detail because I highly doubt many people are as, in, as interested in this as I am. Um, so all this does is it increases the activity of GABA in the brain and GABA is a neurotransmitter. So it's a chemical that goes from nerve cell to nerve cell and it acts as an inhibitor and it prevents action potentials in nerve cells. So it pretty much stops the nerve signal telling the muscles to seize. This is a question for Shelby. I, you hear Bailey say, whitey righty, smoke over fire. Have you ever heard anything like this? I haven't heard that one before, um, but there's definitely a lot of mnemonics out there for different things. What's your favorite mnemonic that you use in the hospital? Um, oh, God. I don't even know. There's just like, there's mnemonics for li for literally everything. There's so many things that you have to remember. Okay, what's a mnemonic for bad feet? For what? <laughs> I don't know. I'm throwing one out there. Um, like bad feet. Bad feet. I don't, there's. This patient is smelly. What's a mnemonic for that? There's no mnemonic. For, <laughs> there's no steps to that. That's just. I don't. <laughs> 
your nerve vital signs. Um, there's mnemonics for the tests that you do for each of your cranial nerves. Dr. Burke comes into the room because in the first season of Grey's Anatomy, the only two attending doctors in this hospital are Burke and Derek <laughs> because do surgeons do everything in Grey's Anatomy. So that, that's something I brought up. Why is Dr. Burke a cardiothoracic surgeon, the initial attending physician for a seizure case? So, I mean, it's Grey's Anatomy. I think that's kind of like an explanation in itself. But in this case, would it not be neurology or internal medicine who would be responsible for that? Yeah, basically, it would not be a surgeon. So I'll leave that like that so yeah and then he orders a shotgun and as dr mike in his youtube video pointed out this is really excessive and it's not called a shotgun that is not a term that is used when burke says shotgun he lists off so many different tests that they want to do on this patient so they can get like a baseline understanding of what is going on with her medical condition but you don't just like do every kind of test that you can for each patient because A, super expensive. Could you imagine if you were a patient in the US who had to pay to get like six different scans and tests and kinds of things done when one would have been sufficient to diagnose a problem? Like waste of money, waste of resources, waste of everything. We and we'll see how redundant. A lot during Grey's. So, Especially during the episode where Izzy Stevens trying to find her golden goose mystery. And it's also because in some places they don't have a solid medical history on patients. I know in Alberta we have a system called NetCare. And passwords for it, your password change, you have a little clicker and it changes every five minutes and your password. It's So it's highly guarded, highly protected. Um, only physicians and um, specific medical personnel can access these medical records. But everyone in Alberta has an online medical record accessible through NetCare. When I was working as a medical office assistant, um, the nurse showed me how it works. And I got to see my x-ray of my broken collarbone from when I was 12. So it's just... I think it would be a lot more efficient if more places took up this practice because in an emergency situation, you don't always have time to get a complete medical history and medical history is a large part of patient care. So imagine being Izzy Stevens on your first day as a surgeon and you have to do rectal exams all day. And I just want to point out two fingers. Yeah, that is not that. <laughs> that is not a thing. When people get rectal exams, they do a. It is. It's not going to be a surgeon doing the rectal exam. Basically, okay, everything in Grey's Anatomy. I'll just say it right now, so we're not repeating this every five minutes. The surgeons don't do ninety-five percent of the things that they're doing, but two fingers definitely not going to happen. <laughs> I would not want to be those 17 patients that she sees on those first seven hours of her 48-hour shift. And then when Christina Yang goes to bug Miranda Bailey when she's in the operating room, and the look Miranda Bailey gives her, I like just that deadpan, like, 
are you fucking kidding me? Look, I swear I can relate to this so much. But I've definitely had that feeling where Miranda Bailey, you can see it on her face, where it's kind of a blank canvas, but behind her eyes is saying, I want to murder you right now because you're annoying the shit out of me. Yeah, this is where, like, Christina's try-hard status, I mean, which she succeeds at epically, but still, like, really comes into play that she'll, uh, she isn't afraid to, like, ask for things if she wants it, or push her way into things if she wants it. Okay, so the next scene that we cut to is Meredith wandering around trying to take Katie to the CT. And let me just start by saying Meredith Gray is a surgical resident, not a porter. Okay, porters transport people places. And plus, (laughs) can I just say, like, if you have a specialty in a hospital, you're probably going to know your area of the hospital better. Of course, you're going to get lost in a totally different section of the hospital on your first day also who keeps the ct in the basement the only thing in the basement is the morgue so why she's even in the basement lost beyond me so the scene after that it cuts to o'malley um o'malley has to start an iv for his patient and he can't get it which is realistic because as a surgical resident they don't do a lot of ivs normally it's the nurse who does starting of the IVs. I have a comment and it may be an unpopular opinion, but Preston Burke sucks. Yeah, he's a dick. (laughs) He's not a good teacher. He is discouraging and mean for no reason. What he should have been doing is standing beside O'Malley and helping him through it, not be discouraging and condescending And if this was me in one of my labs and my supervisor was doing this to me, if I made a mistake, I would go home and cry. Like the fact that he picked genuinely probably the least prepared person, like, and he knew it and he was doing it to prove a point. He didn't think George O'Malley was the gold star of the class. He was doing it to be a dick and to prove a point that he had power and he could hold it over his interns. So next scene... We pan over to the cafeteria and the interns are all sitting there eating their lunch. They're seven hours into their 48 hour shift and they're talking about their patients. And this is where we start seeing lots of HIPAA violations because Meredith Gray says Katie's name as they're eating lunch at the table, which is a big no-go for HIPAA. So HIPAA is basically all of the rules and regulations um, about patient confidentiality. So you're not allowed to give any information at all about anyone to anyone. And Grey's Anatomy is so bad for this. And so like every episode, it happens multiple times. So fast forward, so we don't have to come back to this. It happens in elevator scene. It happens in... Uh, Gosh, everywhere. Everywhere is HIPAA violation. Everywhere. So then we get, is this the cut scene where the parents come in and they talk to Meredith. Meredith. And in passing, we see Dr. Burke talking to uh, Dr. Bailey, which is kind of what Shay's tirade was about, talking about how all 
of Burke's chosen students really suffer when they get the first surgery. And Burke is like, that's the point. Long story short, he's an ass. Then we get to uh, Katie's parents talking to Meredith Gray. And I kind of feel sympathy for Meredith Gray because it's kind of a situation where you're like, what can I tell them? What can I tell them? Where's my boundaries? Where's my supervisor? I'm a doctor. I'm not her doctor. Let me find you more information because I feel like that's probably a common thing because you're like, I don't know how much to tell them, especially on your first day. I mean, it's and that's all she had to tell them. I'm not saying she had to have all the answers. I'm just saying she could have put on like a little bit more of a brave face considering the hospital is like her second home since she was a yeah. child. And then like, gone and gotten those answers because that's all you gotta do is like I mean I lifeguarded for years and how many times where I really didn't know an answer for something about the current state of the pool chemistry or something and all I did was like you know what I'm not sure we're working on it right now but I'll get back to you and then I just like radioed and asked my supervisor like yeah it's all about like especially there's so many professions like this but medical professionals especially you just got to have a good poker face. You're always going to be thrown yes. into situations where you don't know the answer right away because you're never going to know everything. You're always going to have to go look up information, whatever it is. We'll see this later when um, Dr. Shepard talks to the parents, but I don't want to skip to that yet because as of right now, we get to meet Derek Shepard once again when Meredith goes to ask Bailey about the patient and Bailey says, that's the new attendings patient now, Derek Shepard. He's right over there. And you just see the look on Meredith's face and her face drop as she realizes who the new attending is, as it was her one night stand. And the double take by Derek is also cute. Totally an appropriate relationship, but it still makes my heart melt because Meredith. When you see Meredith come in the room, there's something I noticed. The cameraman's reflection in the glass when she enters the room and I look for it. I'm like, oh, that's, that's quite obvious. You can clearly see the cameraman in the glass reflection in this scene. I would not have noticed that. <laughs> if it wasn't pointed out to me, I wouldn't have noticed this. It wasn't as obvious as the George O'Malley thing. And so from professional standpoint with the Meredith and Derek interaction I think Meredith handled this very well I think she set clear boundaries I think she was very professional but Derek's just so damn charming this is the scene where I had a really hard time convincing my boyfriend Kenny to watch Grey's Anatomy with me because he was determined to hate it but he too was charmed by the magic of Derek Shepard, <laughs> and he ended up loving it. I and he... have one note about this scene, and it's literally in all caps, that smirk. Because Derek has that smirk, but he's, like, so goddamn charming and attractive while he does it, and it's, like, it's no wonder. Like, he could just say one line, hook, line, and sinker. It's, it's... She... Meredith has a lot of willpower to say, nope, nope, we're going to back away from this right now. Bringing it back to my nursing perspective. So, so inappropriate. It's Meredith, I do agree with Haley. She set really good boundaries, but 
if that situation were to happen where you would know you had a one night stand, you knew someone before and you realized that you worked in the same hospital and one person was of like a higher status than another at work in that moment would not be the time to discuss your personal relationship. It would not be appropriate for Derek to just grab Meredith and pull her into the stairwell and like talk about how he saw her naked that morning. (laughs) They should have just poker face, pretended they didn't see each other, get through that shift and then discuss whatever their own time afterwards and come up with a solution. The whole stairwell thing while adorable and necessary for the sake of the show, not realistic at all. The surgery. The surgery. Is this the one that George O'Malley? Yeah. Okay. 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 I want to go first. And my note is about Burke. Okay. Okay. It's about his scrub cap. I swear to God, we do not see the pink and purple flowers scrub cap. Like, I do not remember that one for a lot of the series. That's something I never even noticed. it's also, like, definitely not one of his, like, Burke is known to have his lucky scrub caps. Um, That's not one of his lucky scrub caps. And I just wanted to point out that I've never seen that scrub cap. Also, Grey's Anatomy putting a lot of men in pink this episode because Richard Weber was wearing a, like, bright salmon dress shirt. That is something I didn't notice. That is good attention to detail. I was too focused on the sexual harassment aspect. Pull your balls out of your back pocket. That is sexual harassment. That is like... So aggressive. That is so terrible. And then he didn't provide good guidance. And just Dr. Burke is a terrible teacher. He may be a good surgeon, but he's a terrible teacher and he should not be working at a teaching hospital if he's going to treat his students like crap. Yeah, like you honestly do learn from mistakes. Um, So it's really good to put people in situations where they're learning as they go because they'll honestly remember things better. But don't make a teaching moment out of a situation where a patient could possibly be harmed. And again, this happens in many surgeries throughout Grey's Anatomy. Yes. And there's one more thing about the show that confuses me greatly because just the amount of inexperience that the interns have, because they should have been in a hospital setting before. If they were in medical school, they should have done surgical rotations because the way that medical school works is the first two years are primarily classroom learning and the second two years are primarily on the on the job, hands-on learning, where you're doing your different rotations in different doctor specialties to figure out which one you want to go into and do your residency in. So these are surgical interns. They would have done surgical rotations. So O'Malley would have known to press harder with the scalpel because the skin is tougher than it looks. And they would have done, like earlier, an IV. They would have done these basic things and basic patient care previous to their internship. So it's just the show making it seem like this is the first time they were in a hospital. And even with the intro speech, it was like, yesterday you were being taught by doctors. Now you are the doctors. 
And I'm like, that's true for a certain point. But it's more like when you look at Chicago Med, if you've ever seen that, and they have that medical student who works on the ground with them, and they can't do certain procedures, they can't make certain calls, but getting that hands-on experience, that's what it's like. And it's like, they never had that hands-on experience in med school. So I think that's just kind of an aspect of medical school that the show missed. Maybe it was just a writing choice made by Shonda Rhimes to kind of introduce the watchers into the show and into the medical community with the interns or even and just kind of as a writing play because I personally don't think it would be as interesting if the interns weren't bumbling and not knowing what to do. And it's- this is true and it's really good for the character development as well because this is such a long series having them start out knowing nothing it really does help show the progression of everything that they learn. Uh, sidebar don't know if it's the scene, but I did note that Christina Yang's hair looks really good this episode, how they styled it, also how they did her makeup, and that she, they did uh, Catherine Heigl's hair, makeup, like, did her dirty this episode, because she didn't look that great. Like, they made her out to be the hot model, um, but, like, I thought Christina's makeup and hair um, styling outdid her this Spot episode. On. You're spot on. So, <laughs> well, that's actually how Katherine Heigl showed up to her interview because she wanted to show she's like, hey, I want to look like I'm actually like a doctor who's been working 48 hours. So she showed up to the audition, no makeup, her hair up in a bun, and those glasses on, those ugly act Mike Wazowski glasses that she's got on her face. She showed up like that to her interview. So they didn't really do her makeup. I just thought that Christina Yang looked fine and like she looked like the model this episode. And then the interns are hanging out in their hallway that they like to go to. <laughs> I feel so bad for George. He's like, they're calling me 007. They're like, they're not calling you 007. And I just had to laugh when they're joking and um, bantering there. When Christina said that, said the geriatrics joke, when they said people who work in geriatrics are weirdos who live in their mom's basement and never have sex because I thought of Shelby working in the old folks home with that joke. You're so terrible. (laughs) That's not funny. Uh, Do you live in your mom's basement? Shut up. (laughs) And work with old people? Stop it. (laughs) So this is the first time we see Alex Karev in the season. And I forgot what it is. Besides the dressing room scene. Was he in the dressing room scene? Briefly. Um, Oh, yeah, briefly. Yeah, because they had, like, as you mentioned earlier, they had to reshoot certain scenes and write so this, in it after. Yeah, this is, like, I think the first time we see him with lines and with the other characters, like, in one scene interacting. Yeah. So I forgot what an asshole he is and arrogant. And some people may think his character is a little bit over the top. But I am going to say firsthand that that is not true. Because 
I did before I started at my university here. I was at University of Victoria and I was in the biomedical engineering program. And 90% of the men in their first year engineering had the Alex Karev attitude because they thought they were so much better than everybody else, so much smarter because they decided to go into engineering. I'm not saying all engineers, I want to clarify this because. So many of my friends I have now are friends from University of Victoria who are still in engineering, who are great people, phenomenal men and women, but there was a large chunk of the people who were Alex Karevs, and I had to stop myself from decking one of them in the middle of the engineering building at 3 a.m. while building a robot. I've met too many Alex Karevs where they just think that they're better than anybody else, even people with more experience, such as this nurse who probably has 30 more years of hands-on experience than yeah. him. I'm sure I've never worked in the medical field, but if I had to assume the number one rule in a hospital, it would be don't piss off the nurses because they're like the backbone that will do stuff for you. And we will see this later on with Mark Sloan, in the real world, the doctors and the surgeons are not in charge of the nurses. They are all, they all work together. Not one is more important than another. They all have different jobs. They all have different rules and they work together as colleagues. The doctors and the surgeons are not the nurses' bosses. Just to clarify, they are colleagues. Side note, before we jump right away to... Meredith with Katie, right at the end of that scene, George O'Malley pops up, does a little pathetic, I'm friends with her, you know, <laughs> and like Alex is like, just shut the fuck up, nobody cares. Um, it's really endearing, but like, oh, George, that's like the same as like a two-year-old coming up to you or like a five-year-old and being like, I can throw a ball really hard, you know, and you're like, uh-huh. I think it was George trying to make friends with these guys who were like all into Alex or all into Meredith and yeah. he just wanted to seem cool and be yeah. like the cool guy for once and like try and make some friends and it just it just did not work out. No. I still love George though. Oh, yeah. He's still love my George. favorite. I who doesn't he is so freaking endearing and that's why whenever you hear a person watching Grey's Anatomy for the first time, and they're like, my favorite is George O'Malley. And you just kind of go, and I, oop. <laughs> so we're going to hear that. <laughs> so um, now we're going to move on to Katie's seizure. And I love watching this with Shelby, where she'd pause in every medical scene, and she'd mutter angry to herself and write her notes. That's not how it's done. <laughs> <laughs> I make those noises only occasionally. <laughs> oh, yeah. Especially when Meredith pulled out the paddles. I thought Shelly was going to flip the couch. Okay. So, <laughs> number one, load her with phenobarbital. That is not a unit of measurement. Load her is not a unit of measurement. You could kill somebody. That's no. Load her up, boys. <laughs> no. No. Also, Katie has had numerous seizures before. So in a hospital, when someone has had seizures before, they're going to be on a seizure protocol. 
which means that the bed that they're laying on is going to have padding on the rails. Um, nothing is going to be um, within arm's reach of Katie. She's not going to have a bunch of extra things attached to her because they're going to be expecting that she's going to be seizing again. Also, they're trying to like pump her full of meds and like hold her down while she's seizing. You don't do that. When someone is seizing, it is so aggressive and that poor patient has like no control of their motor function and their movements. You just take a step back and you wait yeah, for the we, seizure to stop. Even lifeguards, like that's something we're trained to do. We never, you don't touch, you make sure they're in like a safe zone if you can, maybe put padding under their head. But, like, other than that, you just let them seize. <laughs> Don't try to pin down a seizing individual. No. Never. Or shove your wallet in their mouth. Don't pull a Michael Scott. I did make a catch in this scene, or at least I think it's a catch, at 21.01. I think that's Bokey in the background. Could be. Bokey's like the longest running character, save for Meredith Grey in this. <laughs> she is actually in real life a nurse. She's not an she's actually a, I think it's a surgical nurse. Yeah. Scrub nurse. Okay, back to Katie. Code blue. Code blue. They're all screaming. Meredith, what do we do? Meredith, what do we do? You've all taken basic first aid training. You should all know. You start CPR. What is all this? Everything else, no. CPR, please. <laughs> please. It gets me, okay? Okay, the paddles. What about the paddles? Who uses paddles? No one. That is not a thing. Also, there is specific people who are trained. There's a special team that will come up to that patient, and they are specifically trained to deal with code blue situations. So before that team gets there, you do CPR because that is the most important thing to do. Side note, when you're doing CPR on hospital beds, they have a mattress on the bed. So they're really squishy. So CPR is not as good as if you were doing it on a hard surface. So either the foot of the bed or the head of the bed actually detaches from the gurney part put it underneath of them when you do chest compressions because then there's like a hard surface under the patient. So the compressions are better. There's no, the paddles rubbing them together with the gel and then shocking the patient. No, it's like little stickers that you stick on them. It's, it's, it's stickers. It's, so like an AED, That's, an AED yeah. for those who don't know is like an automated external defibrillator. Most of them are kept on a wall by a fire extinguisher and yeah. are the ones in buildings, at least like public spaces like rec centers, are dummy proof. You can yeah, turn that thing on and it'll walk you through it. One other thing to add to this terrible code blue situation. I don't know how she didn't die. I'm First of all, that was really pathetic compressions. Meredith at one point like sticks one arm kind of on the patient and is like, eh, 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 no. But when you're shocking... Yell clear. And Meredith Gray did not say that. So if anybody was touching the patient when the defibrillator goes off, they would also be shocked. Basically, what a defibrillator does is it stops your heart when it's doing funky things like not beating properly. And it'll stop your heart so that your heart can start beating 
on its own properly again. So if your heart is beating normally and you get shocked, basically it just stops your heart, which is not good, which is why you yell clear. So the next scene we have Izzy Stevens standing at the end of a dark hallway with Miranda Bailey sleeping on a gurney and Izzy is scared because she has to wake up Miranda who does not want to be woken up because she's sleeping. You like, would never see anybody sleeping on a gurney in the middle of a hallway in a hospital. Super inappropriate. I'll just leave it as that. Izzy needs help with a central line because she's never done one before. Just everything about that is so wrong. Central lines are done primarily by nurses. Also, Izzy Stevens is a surgical resident, which means she would have learned central lines in med school. So she definitely would have done one before, but she might not have done one for a really long time, which is fair because people who primarily do surgeries are not going to be doing all of these other skills that people who like nurses can do. So she has to wake up Miranda Bailey and I feel really sorry for her because I would not, would not want to be her. No. I would not want to do that. But um, a lot in this series, I am not envious of Izzy Stevens. I think she gets the short straw for a lot of things. Okay. And then I believe it is Derek talking to Katie Bryce's parents. And he has to deliver the hard news that all medical professionals have to give at some point saying, I don't know. And it's not something that anybody wants to hear. It's not something that you want to admit. I think Derek handled it very well. If people are scared and people are worried, they're going to be more aggressive with dealing with you than they would in a normal situation. And they are, they're aggressive with Derek, but they are scared and they are worried for their daughter. And I think that Derek handles this very well by not taking it personally, by still talking to them very professionally as he should and not letting it get to his head. Um, And especially with dealing with um, family members of patients, honesty is the best policy. So they just want, in this case, their daughter to have the best care possible, but they don't understand all of the medical like lingo and everything that's happening. So they're just super uptight and anxious. And then it comes out as aggression sometimes. So the best way to deal with family members is to just be honest and be calm and just do everything that you can to comfort them. And I do think that Derek does a really good job doing that. And really, there's nothing you can do in this situation other than saying, hey, I know I hear you. You're scared. We'll do our best to figure out what's possible. We just don't have the answers right now. And that's just one of the bad parts of working in medicine and being in the medical community is you don't have all the answers all the time. It's the name of the game, man. O'Malley talks to Burke's patients before there's his surgery. And you hear the... I promise you'll be fine. Um, In any show or movie, as soon as you hear someone promising it will be fine, it will not be fine. You cannot say that to a patient because there is always the chance that it will not be fine, as we will see. It's not good. It's like one of the first things they teach you when you're dealing with patients 
is never make promises that you can't keep. Shit happens. You never know what is going to happen to those patients. So you can't make promises because if something goes wrong and you've promised a patient that nothing bad is going to happen to them, the patient or their family is going to sue your ass. And in the United States, they like to sue. I think I I need to check this up. I'm not sure if doctors in Canada need to have insurance for when they get sued, but I know it's a big thing in the United States where doctors have to pay a ridiculous amount of money per year to act as insurance for legal fees. And then we get to Derek dramatically asking for the intern's help. I'm just going to say it. Hippa. That's it. Moving on. Meredith and Christina team up. And this is the first we really get of the dynamic duo, the Twisted Sisters. And I'm just watching their scenes together just make me so happy because I want a friendship like Christina and Meredith. And we don't get too much of it in the first episode, but like their conversation in the library is golden. We are going to the elevator after they have their nice chat in the library. The elevator scene is where my favorite line of the episode comes in because this is where Meredith tells Derek, Katie, she performs in pageants. And Derek says, I know that, but we have to save her life anyways. Like, clearly the best line of the entire episode. So funny. I mean, definitely inappropriate, but hilarious. I love the wittiness of Derek Shepard. He is so freaking charming. Yeah, it's really great. Um, Also, again, just one word, then we're moving on. Hippa. And I kind of feel bad for the people in the elevator. Like, can you imagine? You're just like, I just want to go to the second floor. Can I close these goddamn elevator doors already? Like, I love looking at the faces of the people in the background. And they just look done. They were so done with this. (laughs) Derek makes the choice to have Meredith scrub in on the surgery. And Meredith doesn't say anything. So I'm curious. What would you guys have done if you made a promise to someone say, hey, I'll work with you. I don't want this. You can have it. And then when it gets awarded to someone else, you don't say any. What would what would you do? Um, I'd probably clip in and be like, oh, hey, like, I think this person should do it. But I wouldn't like fight that hard. Yeah, I honestly, I can't even blame Meredith for being quiet because I feel like I would be very similar like as to what she did because she obviously was not expecting Derek to choose her which I think is why originally she told Christina don't worry I'll help you get it because she didn't want to have that whole awkward encounter with Derek again by like scrubbing into his surgery and she didn't want people to judge her for it and think that she was trying to use him to get surgeries so she was like I don't want any part of this but when Derek chose her a part of her was still like I really really want to do this surgery and I think in her head she was probably thinking I should probably say something but then she didn't and then Derek left 
And, you know, then it was, it was her surgery to scrub in on. <laughs> yeah. And just the look that Christina Yang gives her. I love Sandra Oh as an actress. I, she always does such a great job, especially yeah. when acting as characters with attitude. I mean, she's really freaking good in Killing Eve, too. So that's another one to keep your eye out for. And then the song Life is Short starts playing. And I have this on my phone. And I just really want to add that Grey's Anatomy always has such good music in their episode. I don't get why they don't have albums released with all the songs that they used in this season. And also a fun note, I don't know if everybody knows this, but every single episode title is the name of a song. We go to the part where O'Malley is waiting for Burke's surgery to finish. And I just want to say, I really like how this scene is done. And even though there's no talking, I really love the contrast of what's going on. And there's kind of the upbeat music. And O'Malley's sitting there drinking his juice box, completely oblivious. And meanwhile, you can see in the back the chaos of the OR room. And you can see that things aren't going well. And I just love the contrast of the scene of like the kind of like the peaceful ignorance and then the chaos like right behind him. I think it was just really well done. A lot of the sh camera shots that they do use and they choose like the characters they choose to focus on and like the way that they don't blur certain um, backgrounds. It's just, it's very well produced and put together and the camera angles and thoughts are very well planned out. I feel so much for both George and as much as I don't like Burke, I feel Burke's frustration in this scene when Burke finds out that George made a promise and he's frustrated because it's not George's place. And I get that Burke's mad, but I don't like that he's like, no, you go tell the family now. This is on you, blah, blah, blah. You're a teacher, Burke. You should make him sit through it and teach him how to do it. But him just saying to O'Malley, nope, you go tell the family results in O'Malley not doing a good job of telling the family because this is the first time he's had to do this. It's not great when O'Malley gave him the bad news in the very crowded waiting room. Normally when you give bad news or even good news after a surgery, you go to a private place to talk to the family. You do not do it in the middle of the waiting room where there's people everywhere. Nobody likes to give families and patients bad news. It's not ideal. So the fact that Burke pawns it off to O'Malley, I think is also kind of realistic in a way. <laughs> I'm if really you, sorry. If you hear the like little dinosaur screams, it's our two uh, kittens wrestling with each other. <laughs> um, That's it. That's all. <laughs> continue, Shelby. Um, but it's actually kind of realistic the way that Burke kind of pawns off the tough job to O'Malley because although I haven't personally had to do it yet, a lot of my nursing instructors have said, um, even though it's not the nurse's job to give patients bad news, a lot of the times the doctors don't like to do it. So they'll just walk into the room, drop a bomb and then leave. And then the nurse is just standing there awkwardly with the patient and the patient is like, well, I don't understand what that meant. Can you explain that to me? And then the nurse has to break down 
all of the things that the doctor said very nonchalantly before he ran away or she ran away and then basically deliver the bad news to the patient. Even though it's not their job, it happens. And I think this is why medical schools, when I talk to someone on the board of admissions at U of A Medical School, they're starting to lean away from looking for the perfect grades. And they're starting to look a lot more at who people are as a whole and people's communication skills. Because I was told once you hit a certain GPA up, you're good. Once you hit a certain MCAT score and up, it's good. They no longer care. They don't care what your undergraduate degree is. I was told focus on extracurriculars, focus on volunteer hours, and focus on interviews and building yourself up as a person because that's what they're looking for. They're placing a lot of weight in interviews that they weren't before. Meredith decides, okay, I've had enough of this conflict with Christina. I want to resolve this. I'm going to go talk to Derek. So she goes and she finds him in the patient room shaving Katie's head while she's unconscious. Because that wasn't the OR, was it? Nope, that was just, I don't even know. Yeah, she wasn't under, so was she just sleeping while he was shaving her head or what? I think they made it seem like she was under, um, but they would definitely be doing the head shaving while the patient is still conscious. Because it just, like, someone can only stay sedated for so long. And they're not going to waste precious sedated time to shave someone's head. I think for just convenience sake of Derek and Meredith having this private conversation, they're like, hey, let's have Katie Bryce knocked out. But just, I know. (laughs) It just, A, why is a neurosurgeon shaving Katie's head? (laughs) Anybody could have shaved Katie's head. They're not going to pay him however much he gets paid, which is a lot, to sit there and shave hair. Number two, it doesn't matter if the patient is awake, unconscious, whatever. We always assume that the patient can hear what you are saying. So the fact that they're having this very personal conversation, just no. Just no. That's when we get to... George and Meredith having their heart to heart. And I think this is one of the sweetest moments. Very sweet. But also, I can almost guarantee they did not shoot this scene together. And that they actually shot them as separate scenes and spliced them together. Because never once do you see the camera focusing on both Meredith and George in the same shot. It either bounces to Meredith then bounces to George. And at the very, very end, you do see them sitting together on that bed, but it's a distance shot from way at the end of the hallway. It's a little fuzzy. That could have been anybody sitting next to Meredith there. They could have had a body double in. I do like the topic of their conversation because I do hear frequently, don't go into medicine if you're only in it for the money, only going to medicine, if you can't imagine yourself doing anything else, because there's so many professions that you can make really good money in that don't take your entire young adult life of training. So I really like that they threw this in. The five W's. Alex thought he was such a hot shot. But Weber's like, nah, dude, you're a fuck up. And then he's like, can anybody brighter than this dumbass 
here, uh, tell me what's going on. And Meredith is like, um, the five W's. <laughs> and Alex looks ticked off because the hottie who he dissed earlier. He called her nurse, by the, by the way. way. Yeah. So also that's like super sexist because he thinks that like a hotshot doctor can't be female, but not that there's anything knocking down to a nurse. So I'm like, that's double points against you, pal. Yeah, and just to, like, go in-depth a little bit more. So when Weber asks Meredith what she thinks the problem with Alex's patient is, originally she said she said that Alex thought it was the wind, which is most common. Yeah, and she, she thought it was walking, walking, which means pulmonary embolism. And Weber asks Meredith what, you know, course of treatment would be for a PE. And Meredith literally lists off all of the possible ways that you could treat a pulmonary embolism, or PE, as I called it before. And one of the things that she talked about is heparin. And heparin is an anticoagulant. And just to specify, they do not dissolve a pre-existing clot. All heparin does is it stops the clot from getting bigger and it stops other clots from forming. In addition, a pulmonary embolism is a very, very noticeable, very severe thing. So the fact that Alex Karev did not know that his patient had a pulmonary embolism, which is very serious and life-threatening, is terrible. It's really terrible. Basically, a pulmonary embolism is when you have a clot that forms in another part of your body and it's moving, it like breaks free and it's moving through your bloodstream and then it gets caught in your lungs and you can no longer breathe because this clot is blocking just the flow of gas exchange in your lungs so you're not breathing you're going to be gasping you're going to be turning blue it's going to look like you have no oxygen coming into your body complete cyanosis very noticeable so the fact that he did not know that it was a pulmonary embolism is very concerning to me yeah my only comment about this scene is dr weber welcome to the game is super cheesy but I love it I love it and then we get to the surgery of Katie Bryce and the first time we hear Derek say his famous line it's a beautiful day to save lives he doesn't say day he it's says night. night he says it's a beautiful night to save lives watching the surgery this is kind of a personal moment for me when you see the microscope in front of Derek, this is why I am interested in neurosurgery more than other forms of surgery. It's actually really fun being able to dissect very small things and do those like really precise things under the microscope is so interesting and fun and fascinating to me. So that is why I want to be a surgeon. Just to clarify, I started watching Grey's Anatomy because I wanted to be a surgeon, I didn't want to become a surgeon because of watching Grey's Anatomy. Because truly, I don't think anybody would want to be a doctor after seeing what these doctors go through on this show. Also, side note, during that surgery, Derek does not have goggles on. And he should 100% have goggles on. Oh, yes. That's something that bothers me so much. Because even in a lab, when I'm dissecting and I don't have to be necessarily sterile... You need to protect your eyes. I've had a starfish explode on me and get on my glasses. Can you imagine if I had 
dead starfish in my eye because I didn't wear proper eye protection. That's how they are with bodily fluids. You don't want bodily fluid exchange at all. Um, one common misconception, just throwing it out there, is that when a patient has some kind of blood transferable disease, that you would have different precautions for dealing with those patients than you would for patients that don't have a disease that can transport through the blood. But that is false. You treat all patients the same because you do not want any bodily fluids, no matter what patient it is, to go from them to you. Then we get to the end and we finally get to find out who Meredith is narrating to. And it is her mother, the great Ellis Gray. My question is now because of this, who is Meredith narrating to in the rest of this series? If in the first episode, the narration was her talking to her mother, who's she talking to in the rest of the series? Alzheimer's is such a scary thing. When they forget who you are, they don't even recognize you. They don't recognize you as your child. And even if you didn't have the best relationship with your parents, I can't even imagine how terrible that would feel. And if anybody wants a song that kind of relates to this, uh, Blank Stairs by Jay Allen will just shatter you. It's about his mother with Alzheimer's. Yeah, it's really heartbreaking. Like right now I'm working at a senior's home. And it's honest, it's just heartbreaking when you have a patient who has Alzheimer's, which is a form of dementia, by the way. It's just so heartbreaking when you see this interaction between a patient and their family. And the patient is scared and they don't know what's happening because they don't remember anything. And they know that they should remember someone, but they don't. And then pair that with a family member who knows that their family who knows that like their loved one won't remember them, but still hopes that they will. It's just, it's just so heartbreaking. It really is. Shane, do you have any final thoughts on the episode? Overall, I mean, really good episode. Well put together. Great plot lines. Um, pushing the envelope on some stuff, I guess, for 2005. There's some TV show pilots that are very, very slow. And just hard to slog through and you kind of have to force yourself through the first like episode or two of a series. And I don't think Grey's Anatomy is that way. I think right away you're pretty captivated and the whole episode holds your attention all the way through. Yeah, I agree. It's really good. A lot of pilot episodes um, because they're trying to get through so much introduction and they're trying to introduce all of the characters and just like introduce the plot line. They're really, really dry. But Shonda Rhimes does a really good job of diving right into it. Yeah, you get drawn in emotionally to these characters because each of them are so distinct. And she's somehow able to do this with such minimal screen time. I think it was a great pilot episode. I love this show. I love this episode. Yeah, and I mean... We did a really long, really in-depth, thorough synopsis. There's a lot of specific things that happen in many, many episodes. So we kind of broke down every single one of those in this first one. And you all know that a lot of these things carry on. This is like your glossary of episodes. Basically. Yeah, pretty much. And this episode was a lot more uh, medical heavy 
than a lot of the future episodes would be because we haven't gotten into a lot of the complex character dynamics yet. We just kind of got our first brush of interaction between Meredith and Derek, Meredith and Christina, and how much of an ass Burke is. So we're going to be doing a lot more character deep diving later on. This is more just an introduction of our characters that we didn't get into yet. So give us a chance. Don't judge us too hard by our first episode. Um, Thanks Um, for listening. Thanks for listening. Listen to us next time because I want you to pick me, choose me, podcast me because it's a beautiful day to podcast.